Hey everyone, this is episode 129 of the Crowdfunding Uncut podcast. I'm Kirsten Ross, and today again we're doing a reprise or a flashback to one of our top 10 episodes, which we're in the theme right now for that. So this conversation is with Elena Favili of Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. If you're not familiar with their story, this is one of my favorite episodes because they talk about how they became one of the top 10 biggest publishing campaigns ever on Kickstarter with an emotionally driven message on a small budget. So um, what I really love about this is they used their um, their customer base to get real product feedback to create something that was truly amazing and enrolled and empowered their audience to really be a part of their launch. So I think even if you have a massive marketing budget, you should really pay attention and take notes during this episode because of how they their approach they took when um, walking their customers through the product development process and including them with that as brand ambassadors. So really powerful stuff. And guys, again, we if you're just chiming in now, uh, we are in the middle of releasing our top 10 podcast episodes over the next few weeks as kind of a virtual countdown to the new brand that is launching on May 15th. I'm really stoked about that. To stay in the know, be sure to join our mailing list at kirsten.com. And apart from that, uh, when the new episode draw, or I guess, you know, you'll just get information on when the new podcast is launching and new resources and everything else as they arise. And Kirsten.com is going to be our main hub. And again, it's so how to spell it is K-H-I-E-R-S-T-Y-N.com. Apart from that, let's jump into the episode. This is Crowdfunding Uncut, the place where creators and entrepreneurs come to learn how to launch a successful crowdfunding campaign. Here's your host, Kirsten Ross. This episode is brought to you by BackerKit. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the spreadsheet nightmares after your campaign is done. Let me explain. Once you have hundreds of new backers for your product, you're going to be exporting a ton of customer data that is probably going to change. People will need to change their shipping address. They'll want to downgrade some of their rewards. They'll want to buy more rewards. And when you don't have a system in place to help with this, it's actually going to be taking a lot more of your time dealing with customer service admin, and you're probably going to screw stuff up, which is not good long-term for customer relations. BackerKit gives you a full done-for-you software platform online where you can easily manage all of your customer data. And my favorite part about working with them is that once your campaign actually wraps up, they help you get additional sales from your customers by offering to upsell to more rewards or options that you may or may not have on your campaign. They have worked with more than 2,000 projects, delivering more than 3.5 million rewards um, and products. This could be digital products or, heck, even physical products to you guys. They've been amazing to work with. I've partnered with them on the show because I've worked with them in the past and they are amazing. So if you are looking for a partner after your campaign that's going to make your life super easy, they are the ones to go to. To find out more information, go to backerkit.com. But wait, at checkout, they're actually giving the uncut listeners, which are you guys, going to give you 50% off of their setup services. So when you go to backerkit.com, go to checkout and use the five code uncut, U-N-C-U-T. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Kirsten here with Crowdfunding Uncut. 
I am so excited for this interview. I asked you guys what were some of your favorite campaigns, and Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls came up multiple times in that it's a very inspiring, heartfelt campaign that went on to raise thousands of dollars and turn into an amazing global brand. And so based on that, and based on their founder interview with Nathan Chan, I have been trying to get Elena Favilli on the show for months, and we just keep not, like, our schedules just never worked out until today. So we, like, have actually been looking forward to this interview for, like, four months, and it's by audience request, and Elena, I'm just really excited to have you here on the show and dive into your campaign. Hi, thank you so much for having me. No worries. Um, so I know, like, I before we started recording, I really, really wanted to get a sense of where you guys were today, and when I was stalking your campaign, I saw your recent update that you guys have just hit one million in pre-orders, or one million dollars in pre-orders. Yeah, we we just yeah we actually passed one million orders, uh, one million dollars in pre-orders, and uh, and now we we have a uh, a live e-commerce presence where we keep selling the the book ourselves, and yeah, so the the book is out in many other languages. It's being translated. It will be translated in in twenty four languages in total uh, by the end of this year, and and we just passed. Uh, half a million copies sold internationally. That is fantastic. And for those uh, listening that don't know what Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls are, how would you describe the project? Yeah, it's uh, so it's it's a book, um, and it's a collection of a hundred stories about extraordinary women of the past and the present, from uh, Elizabeth I to Serena Williams. So um, it's. Um, it's a heavily illustrated book. So each story is um, uh, is two pages, and on one page there's a, there's a short story about the, the the woman, and on the other page there's a portrait and uh, a fully colored portrait uh, by um, amazing female artists from all over the world. We worked with sixty different female artists, and for like. To do the illustrations, right? Yeah, to do the illustrations. Wow. Yeah, and 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 Francesca Cavallo and and I we wrote the the stories. That's incredible. And so going back, your campaign was launched in April of 2016. So this is just over a year, and you have accomplished so much with your stories in the last what 13 months now. Yeah, yeah, 13 months. When right. you um, when you went into deciding to do a Kickstarter campaign for this, did you expect the success that you guys have had with this? <laughs> no, no, we didn't expect it at all. I mean, we knew that the campaign was uh, had a good chance uh, of being successful because we had been working on the design and the planning of the campaign for 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 a long time, um, and we knew that uh, the timing was quite right. Uh, because we knew that you know there was a pretty big need in in the marketplace for 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 this kind of products, uh, but no, we didn't imagine that the campaign would would literally explode uh, like this, and then uh, that the book would become this international bestseller in just in just a few months. Right. And you mentioned I was going to go back to something you said that you knew there was a big need in the market for something like this. 
how did you, how did you first off know and have enough confidence in this to pursue a project like this? And what first gave you the idea to, to run with an angle like that? Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, the idea, uh, I would say that this, this project really comes from a personal place. So, uh, that was the most important thing for us. So for both Francesca and me, uh, female empowerment and, um, fighting gender stereotypes uh, is extremely important in our in our life. So um, we were we were looking for for a new product to launch and we really wanted to create something that could address like this this theme that we that that it's so personal and so important for us. At the same time, we've been working in the children's media space for the past five, six years. So we we've kind of witnessed from the inside how um, children's media are still packed with gender stereotypes. So we were like, yeah, hey, we should combine these two things and do something about empowering women, young women, young girls, um, uh, starting from our background and our field, so starting with, with children's media. And so that's why we decided to, to create a children's book in, in the first place. Um, but yeah, the kind of insight that we um, that we that really gave us the confidence to launch the the crowdfunding campaign is something that we we slowly built over over the course of a few months because we we had an existing uh, user base of readers um, and and we so, we we launched uh, a few of the first stories. Uh, through our newsletter, and so uh, we kind of tested some of the stories and and and, and the concept, the, the the idea behind the book, uh, week after week, just in a constant and very open dialogue with uh, with our readers, and and we could see that they were responding uh, so enthusiastically to these newsletters, and they they were. Uh, responding to us and asking for more stories and and saying stuff like, oh my god, this is so cool! I, I've never heard of this woman. Um, I want to I want to know more. So we we knew that there was something there that that people wanted. Um, yeah, but we couldn't imagine that it would become so big. Yeah, I'm curious, like when you because you use your existing audience to help validate and refine your project that like Goodnight Stories, but did you? Um, cause I know with founder magazine, with their Kickstarter, what they did was they made the first two chapters available and they were very upfront about how it was prepping for a Kickstarter launch for a very specific product. When you were drip feeding some of the content to your audience, did they know that it was gearing up for a Kickstarter launch and you wanted feedback or were they just like blog posts you put out there, um, no, they didn't know in that case because we didn't know either. <laughs> it was something that, you know, it was um, um, it was really customer research and customer development for us in the first place. And so for us, it was a discovery process and uh, that eventually led us to decide that we were ready to launch a crowdfunding campaign. But um it was something deeper, I would say. We were really trying to understand, first of all, what kind of products we were passionate about and we wanted to create. And, you know, if 
if that was if the thing that we had in our mind was something that was somehow resonating with our with our audience. So when we started with the newsletter, um, we had the title in mind, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, but we didn't know yet at that time if uh, that was going to be a book or something else. So it was, uh, so it's been, you know, a discovery process in, 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 in the true sense of, of, of the expression, because it's, uh, um, it's been uh, this, this journey where we were like, okay, let's see uh, what this is going to, to become. And, and so we, we tested different kind of stories. So the format was still, you know, kind of open at the time. So some of, some of these stories were just short texts um stories some others were um uh, comics um in in some other cases we we just you know wrote like a few a few sentences and then the link to a video so it was a combination of different formats different mix uh, different mix of things and uh because we were yeah we were searching for the right uh, the right format to to propone and and so it was only after a few months of this back and forth with the newsletter that we eventually decided to uh, that we were ready to launch a Kickstarter campaign. And only at that point we we went back to our user base and we asked them directly. Uh, so we're thinking of launching this book called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls, and it's going to be like this. And we gave a very precise explanation of. Uh, the the kind of stories, the format, the, the the characters that we were going to include, and then we we just put a link at the end. It was a, a simple Google document. It was a Google Doc, so nothing really, nothing fancy with uh, uh, like a sales letter, a description of what we were going to create, and and at the end of it, there was a link um, with a pre-order to a pre-order button where they could uh, buy and pre-order the book when even before the campaign was launched right this was kind of an internal test for us to see if you know how many people from our user base were ready to launch uh, to buy even before launching a crowdfunding campaign and and we got a pretty good response uh, because about five yeah four to five percent of people um actually bought the book when there was really nothing there except this this Google Doc, and so we were like, "Wow, we, you know, we're definitely ready to to launch a crowdfunding campaign." I have so many questions, and I hate interrupting, but I have written down like three questions of things that you've said that I really want to um, elaborate more on. Sure. So that's okay. I'm going to start with the latest thing you said, which is you had a pre-order button, so you actually took orders before your campaign went live. Yeah. Did you see it's it's cool because I work with a lot of crowdfunding campaigns and I would be scared that if people pre-order, I'd almost want to like save their order for the campaign. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you've just validated that people will buy the exact thing you're looking to do. So did you um did you at that point you actually took the money and then did you dump that into the campaign or you just use the rest of your audience to to like launch the campaign? Yeah, so we used Gumroad uh, just you know to give you the exact example for for the pre-order in uh, in that case, and you know it was a small group. It was um, I think it was uh, about 
2,000 people at at that time. So it, it wasn't. I mean, I didn't feel like we were spoiling our user base before the campaign. We, yeah, for us. And plus, the thing that we've seen is that uh, those super early birds, super right, early customers that you we got it. Uh, that we got, <laughs> they were uh, they became the most uh, passionate ambassadors during the campaign because we they were like, oh my god, I. I bought, I pre-ordered something so cool that now has become part of this super cool campaign that it's going so well. So they were very excited to, you know, to be part of it and to have been a part of it since the very beginning when everything was basically in a stealth mode and nobody, nothing was out in the public, right? Yeah. Oh, that's yeah, so great. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think you should be scared of involving and asking your your audience to buy your stuff before everybody else because they're going to be yeah, as excited as as you when things start going so well. How did you choose the two, I assume that the 2000 was just a segment of your audience based on what you said before. How did you choose the people to do a pre-order release to? Yeah. Yeah. So those were the people who were the most engaged with the kind of um, content that we were sending out on a regular basis with the newsletter. We were sending out um, a newsletter every week and and also with with a link to a, to a blog post on, on our blog. And, and so, yeah, basically we asked uh, this segment of people who were um, highly engaged and, and yeah, potentially interested in buying from us. So yeah, that was the criteria. Now I'm going to pause. We cannot forget to thank the guys over at BackerKit for sponsoring this episode. BackerKit is a crowdfunding fulfillment software service that helps you take care of all the logistics, spreadsheets, and, um, Sorting customer data, not only do they help make customer address changes super easy or changing rewards after someone has already bought, but the power is that they also help you um, do upsells and downsells and take care of all that. So if you don't have a system or platform already set up, um, they've already built that for you. And the best part, you can find them at backerkit.com, but they've actually um, created a discount code for the uncut listeners, which are you guys. So if you go to to uh, check out, use the code UNCUT, U-N-C-U-T. They're going to give you 50% off of their startup services, which is amazing. Um, so if you want to keep selling and keep making money and stay super organized um, after your campaign, they are the guys to go to. I've worked with them on a few campaigns now, and they are amazing. Again, backerkit.com. Because you have an audience, you actually, the way that you launched Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls is the same way that I launched um, my accelerator program for crowdfunding in that I made a fairly vague offer and just asked people if they would buy, which is not the same as getting them to actually buy. Um, but it's cool because the way to validate, you had the opportunity to, because you had this audience yourself and you could actually ask and test a lot of ideas off of them. Have you, because um, with Timbuktu Labs, you've released multiple products in the past. So is this the strategy you usually take to do product launches is like, validate and then launch or yeah. is, at what point did you realize that that was so powerful as opposed to just guessing what people wanted? Yeah. 
No, so this was the first time that we used this strategy, and um, and you know the, the difference has been pretty staggering uh, because of course none of our previous products had the same or even remotely like the, the, the same amount of success. And so I think this is really the right approach. You should instead of you know shooting in the dark and just guessing. Uh, what people might or are going to like. Uh, it's, I think it's really important to reverse the process and um, validate your idea first and only after that launch your product in the market because you're, you're wasting a lot of money otherwise. So, um, so, and that was the main reason why we decided to um, to go and to start looking at crowdfunding at crowdfunding campaigns in general because we were we were kind of uh, lost with our usual development process of, of our products and we were looking for you know a more uh, let's say scientific method to, to, to launch them and and so we had been reading a lot of books about it you know like uh, some of some of the most well-known books about launches. Um, Do you have one like, specifically, or like there's there's yeah there's one by Jeff Walker uh, product called formula. product launch formula. There's another one which is the Ask method. Uh, there's uh, there's an email um, an email course that I that I signed up for and that I highly recommend, which is called Ten Thousand Subs by Brian Harris and and that was a game changer for me because it you know it, it gave me the focus to really you know uh, be laser focused on my on my list on growing the list um, before launching a product so when when we actually launched uh, the, the the crowdfunding campaign on Kickstarter at that point we had roughly 4000 email subscribers who had been with us for for the whole journey, right? So they they had been reading our stories. They knew what we were up to. They were very excited about uh, the theme of female empowerment, girls empowerment, and so when we launched the campaign, they were ready to to buy and to jump on board. So yeah, those are pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I need reasons. to look into those. Yeah, so, that I recommend. Yeah, yeah. Gonna post a. I mean, for anyone listening, and they're like, oh, "I just, I didn't get that." I'm gonna post a link to all three of those. Like the first two are books, the one is an email course. So we'll find that and link that, uh, which is really powerful. Um, so great. So you had a, a few key things which campaigns need for success. You had a validated product. You had a keyed in audience, and then when it came time to actually launch this thing, it exploded. Um, in a really good way. And I'm curious, like, did you, when campaigns launch, you have the first week that's usually really big, and then sales tend to be harder in the middle. Did you find that was the same for you, or were your sales pretty consistently going up throughout the whole thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was the most incredible thing about this campaign, that we knew going in that usually there's uh yeah, there's a slowdown usually, you know, during the, the middle of any campaign. But in our case, the, the campaign just kept going up and up. And uh, because we were receiving more and more press coverage, we had done a lot of 
uh, of work and a lot of research uh, to reach out to the right kind of journalists. So uh, and so we 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 sort of created this domino effect where you know at some point we were I think we were covered by the Huffington Post uh, and Real Simple uh, at the very beginning of the campaign, and then you know everybody every other outlet that we were uh, going after. Uh, fell into place and 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 started to 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 write about us as well. So that was a pretty important uh, component of of the ongoing success of of the campaign. And the other thing um, that really made a big difference was that I think how we managed the updates and the stretch goals. We really used the updates and stretch goals as a way to to keep the community. Um, highly, ener highly energized and engaged, and 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 yeah, yeah, and really passionate about what we were doing. So they became, they really became our uh, ambassadors, and they they just kept sharing the campaign and you know tagging their friends. We were seeing this thing on Facebook where people were tagging each other. We're tagging maybe five, six, seven friends uh, when posting about the campaign. So. This, you know, this word of mouth effect, this viral effect, sort of um, started to to happen on it, on on its own. And 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 the other the other pretty cool thing is that we didn't do any paid marketing until the very end of the campaign because we didn't have, yeah, we didn't have money for that. So when we started this campaign, so this is, I think, an important uh, lesson. Uh, for you know, for anybody who wants to start a crowdfunding campaign, you don't need to have a huge marketing budget. We didn't have a marketing budget when we uh, launched the campaign. We literally spent just fifteen hundred fifteen hundred uh, for um, for a for a for an email blast, like a marketing uh, a newsletter blast. Um, with a paid with a paid list, uh, uh, so that was the only the only paid marketing amount that, that we spent. But the rest of it was just, you know, this um, a lot of research and a lot of, of of work that we had prepared in in the months before the the campaign. Um, and then we only only after you know like the first three weeks, when at that point we knew that the campaign was really successful. Then at that point we. Um, we spent a little bit of uh, of more uh, uh, of marketing dollars in Facebook ads. So, okay, that's amazing to see that with fifteen hundred dollars plus some Facebook ads near the very end, you were able to go on and raise close to seven hundred thousand. What, like, for people who are on a bit of a budget but have a great product they know is validated, um, what were your top to um, things that you did for, to market your campaign to make sure that they used to stay top of mind and consistently got sales in? Yeah, so I guess probably the most important thing, so there's, yeah, there's two or three. Uh, so one of them definitely is do a lot of research for uh, PR and journalists who might be interested in covering your campaign way before you launch the campaign. Because most of the times, you know, people launch the campaign and then suddenly remember that, oh, we need to reach out to journalists. So it's important that you do your research before and that you don't just, you know, 
spam journalists and just, you know, send out hundreds of emails to any, <laughs> any, any, blog, any blogger or journalist that you can find online. But you need to be very, very uh, careful with, you know, who you go after because you need to choose journalists who have previously covered something similar, either similar campaigns or similar themes. Uh, because they are the ones who most likely are going to be interested in what what you are going to launch, and um, and so you have a you have a better chance of being covered by them. And 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 the trick there is really to try to establish a relationship with them before the launch of the campaign. So you want to send them like little snippets, reviews. Uh, you know, you want to tease them into your campaign as well. It's just a different kind of dialogue and relationship that you need to cultivate, and you should take it into account because it's just as important as the planning and the design of the campaign page itself. Uh, the other thing is the video of your campaign. So uh, I know this is pretty obvious maybe you know, for, for uh, listeners of, of this podcast, but it's really important that, uh, first of all, you have a video <laughs> because some campaigns don't, um, but you know that's the, the, the number one thing. And... And also, it's very, very important that you work on a powerful script and that you make sure that the script is is effective. We rewrote the script, I think, you know, 15, 16 times until we knew that we had something that was able to catch people's attention. So we didn't spend, again, we didn't spend money on fancy videos, fancy shootings, um, or fancy after effects, but we spent a lot of time and resources, and this was just, uh, I mean, human resources, right? Because it was the two of us who, mm-hmm. who script, uh, just refining and refining the script of the campaign. So, yeah, if you have some money to spend, just spend it on, on the script instead of, you know, post-production or uh, fancy cameras. You just, you know, you can you can shoot your video with with an iPhone. We had a friend coming over in our uh, living room, and and mm-hmm. and that, yeah, and there yeah. was you can you can see our video. I mean, the audio is not that great. Uh, there are no special effects. I mean, it's very authentic. It's very it's very simple. Thing is, like the camera doesn't shake, so I always find like the it is in the script. Um, the money's in the script and I, I do encourage people to spend like if they do not have good skills like I think the video that you guys produced um, I'm actually really surprised it's not a professional video because you did a really good job of making it look professional yeah 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 well well the thing is that I, we had some advantages because Francesca is a is a stage director and oh, so wow. she okay. yeah there <laughs> so you go yeah, she's great with uh, you know storytelling and and creating scripts and 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 also she's she's pretty great with editing. So uh, there was some skills that secret skills that we had in the house. <laughs> that is so powerful. I love yeah. that. Um, there's something you said before um, PR. I find that it's really interesting that you build a relationship with them by teasing them with content and stuff. Um, a rookie person, like a, a rookie entrepreneur who is thinking, okay, I need to pitch press. We're two weeks away from our launch and I'm just going to pitch journalists and they pitch like their founder story or they pitch why they need to cover it. 
if you had the intention of this being a long play with very specific journalists, what did that first email look like to them? Like, are you pitching them or can you walk me through that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, so I think, yeah, if I remember correctly, the, the first email was um, uh, was including the title of, of the book already because that was pretty clear to us by that time. So it was presenting Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls and it was, uh, uh, you know, just teasing like the, the, the concept of, of the book and it was emphasizing the, the main point. So the fact that we had a hundred women from all over the world so that it was a very inclusive and very diverse uh, book. And also the fact that it was um, a female project because we were uh, involving like 60 female artists, some of the you know, some of the most amazing female illustrators from, from all over the world. And um, um, and the theme itself, the, you know, the empowering young girls, we had a few uh, stats and numbers about the lack of female characters in children's media and in children's books. So, you know, that I, I think that it's important to lead with something that journalists might use in their title or in their opening paragraphs. It's important to think this way when you pitch journalists. So I'm I'm a, I'm a journalist. My background is in journalism, and so I was a journalist before launching and starting my my company, Timbuktu. So I, you know, I know how how journalists think, and and your job when you when you pitch them a story is really to make their job easier, right? And to and to say, oh wow, this is an angle that I can use for my for my uh, next article or whatever. So you, yeah, you need to have a, a good sense of what you know journalists are are writing about, what what they are interested in, and and try to find the the right angle uh, to position your story to them. You're very short and to the point and concise, and I really like your answers. <laughs> um, you. I have one last topic I want to cover before we wrap this up, and it sounds like, I think I know the answer to this, but it sounds like it was just the two of you that did this and put this entire project together. Did you guys have any external help to bring the production of this this whole launch together? No. This yeah, this was really the two of us. We uh, so we we brought in um, yeah, just you know this person for for the video for for the yeah uh, the shooting of the video for one day and and then we uh, we just hired a, a freelancer for um, for the graphic assets of the of the campaign. Um, but it was, yeah, it was the two of us. And then we just, you know, uh, did some, some, uh, Facebook ad towards the end, but yeah, the team was the two of us. We were there every day, uh, writing updates, uh, shooting, uh, boomerang videos <laughs> to keep our audience engaged in our, you know, kitchen or living room or garden. So oh, yes. it was, uh, it, yeah, I think you know, this, this authenticity that you can, that you could feel, uh, from our campaign played a, a huge, a huge role because sometimes, you know, crowdfunding campaigns, um, can, can feel a little bit cold, right? Because when you work with, uh, maybe with an external team, 
um, that does your video or, you know, designs your page, um, they become kind of flat. They become kind of all the same. And it's like, okay, I'm seeing this cool um, demo of this product, but there's nothing personal to it. So I think that with crowdfunding, you know, being personal is everything. It's extremely important because you are your product, basically. You you, you have to, and you have to, um, yeah, to be able to communicate your passion about what you're doing to, to, the, to the audience because they are there for the journey as much as for the product. Right, they're they're not just there for buying something cool. They're 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 there because they want to be part of of this journey with you. Mm -hmm. So it's really important that you keep them up to date even after the campaign is closed. We we kept sending out updates uh, about you know uh, the kind of paper that we were looking at when we were right, working on, on the book and deciding what printing facilities we, we should use or when we went to, to, to Canada to, to the printing facility to, to see the books coming out. So it, 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 was, it was pretty uh, consistent, the amount of, of information that we, that we shared with them. So good. Um, where in Canada is your printing facility? I'm in Toronto, so... Oh, that's great. It's it's in Altona in Manitoba. Oh, amazing. Okay. It yeah. seems so random. I didn't think anything was in Manitoba except Winnipeg, but that's <laughs> cool. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm no. such a so, terrible Canadian. I, yeah, and I'm happy. I mean, if I can, I'm happy to give them a shout out because they're great. They're called Friesens. Friesen. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Sounds good. I love that. Great. So this has been fantastic. Very, we covered so much material, but I think we really got into the granular details, which a lot of uh, creators listening to the show are uh, going to really benefit from. So thank you so much for sharing your, your wisdom and just your campaign. So if people want to uh, learn more about Goodnight Stories, where's a good uh, place to send them online? Yeah, it's our website, which is rebelgers.co. Awesome. Okay. And we will link to that in the show notes again, but uh, do you have any famous last words before we say goodbye? <laughs> no, but thank you. Awesome. <laughs> thank you so much. It's been great. Yeah. Thank you so much. Hey guys, that wraps up another interview and we are so close to hitting our 100th episode. So I'm really excited. Um, what should I do for it? I haven't recorded it as of yet. I'm open to feedback. Send me an email k at crowdfundinguncut.com. Um, also, I just wanted to point out that it's really interesting that they actually crowdsourced the idea and validated their idea um, of Goodnight Stories with their email list because that's actually a whole process that I went through to, because um, what happened with me was I made the assumption uh, that my audience wanted something. So I ended up launching a digital course without even checking with you guys if this is something you wanted. And of course, the, no one bought the course. Uh, and then when I asked for feedback about why, it was, um, it just came down to people wanted access to me and they didn't want to watch videos without access because it's just going to be left with a bunch of question marks. So I found that really interesting and it actually led me to my next offer, which I ended up actually um, doing the exact same method that Elena went through to uh, validate 
uh, Goodnight Stories where I came up with an offer. I emailed my list. And if you're listening, you're on my list. You've seen this. But I pitched the idea for the Hustlers Accelerator. Um, ended up getting over 50 requests to get people on the phone with me. I ended up pre-selling and selling out an entire um, crowdfunding accelerator because of this. And on the back end of that, for people that weren't quite ready for the immersive launch experience right away, I also validated the Academy, which as of uh, recording this, we're two weeks into it, and I'm super stoked. The Academy is a paid monthly uh, subscription where you pay $47 a month, cancel any time, but you get full access to me and a community of other project creators. It's called the Crowdfunding Product Launch Academy, and you get access to content and help along your product launch journey and access to me and the team for any sort of questions. And as soon as I launched that, we had over 30 pre-orders for that, uh, which I'm just so blessed and I'm just, I'm excited. And she kind of hit a nerve with me when she's like, oh, you know, we, we just went through and made sure that uh, people wanted this. And so I did that exact process and I came up with the idea. And basically you guys told me on the phone exactly what you wanted. So this is why now I make it a practice to really ask you guys what you want, because you're going to give me ideas that are better sometimes than what my team or myself can even come up with, because you're really in the trenches doing this uh, every day and, and you need stuff. So anyway, um, to find out more about that and stuff we're doing. Um, as you know, we're in the middle of a top 10 count, like episode countdown of crowdfunding uncut. So there are like my favorite best and most popular episodes from like not only myself, but you guys, uh, we are dropping a new brand and podcast on May 15th, 2019. So to stay in the know with that, be sure to head over to kirsten.com. It's K H I E R S T Y N.com. And apart from that, this wraps up episode 129 with Elena Favili. Are you launching a product on either Kickstarter or Shopify and you're feeling completely overwhelmed with the process? Hi there, my name is Kirsten, the CEO of Launch and Scale. To date, we've helped several online sellers sell millions of dollars online and scale their business from zero to seven figures by focusing on building an audience of fans that will actually convert into paying customers. If you're serious about building a seven-figure e-commerce brand with less time and less risk, you should check out our product launch pad. PLP is a proven accelerator that takes you step-by-step -step through the process of launching and scaling your product brand. Brands like the Monk Manual, Aberlite, Series Chill, Jamstack, and several others were all launched using our product launch pad. So if you'd like to be our next success story, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more. And for a limited time, we're offering a seven-day trial of the product launch pad for only $1. Again, go to launchandscale.co slash PLP to learn more.